Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. You guys are a little quiet. Come on. Come on. Now I shouldn't have to tell you, fam. You got to get turned up a little bit. Overflow people, I hope you guys are making some noise. Everybody that just tuned in right now, those of you joining in on YouTube or listen to it on the podcast, welcome as well. If this is your first time here, uh, first time in a long time, my name's Josh. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Harbor Church, and we're thrilled that you're with us. Uh, we're into a series that we're calling The Ugly Truth, and we're wearing ugly sweaters. And uh, it was awkward wearing that hoodie, because this sweater has two cotton balls <laughs> that made it look... Like, it was cold in here. And so people were giving me a hard time last service. I was like, I don't know. Also, I didn't know that Casey was going to get the exact same sweater as me. So that's all right. At least he's got good taste. Um, I'm glad that you guys are with us for this series. It's not just an excuse to wear ugly sweaters. It's because we're kind of exposing some of the the darker parts of the uh, Christmas season. We just sang a song that God takes what was meant for evil and he turns it to good. And this is what our enemy does in reverse. The Bible says that the devil is a great deceiver. He loves to discourage us and distract us. So we have a season, uh, a, a holiday that we call a holy day that, that we call Christmas or this mass to center around Christ and who he is uh, when he came from heaven. This event over 2,000 years ago when the God of the universe left heaven to come to earth and be born in a manger and wrap himself in flesh, this is Christmas, this is what we celebrate. And it was meant to be this joyous, like exciting time and it was for a while, but as the world drifts further and further away from God, it shouldn't surprise us that the good that was intended has drifted more and more to the negative. This is what Satan loves to do. If he can distract us from God, great, even if it's good stuff. And if he, if he can go beyond that and take it from good and bring it to negatives, this is what we see happening during this season. It's supposed to be a season of God came to earth. We've been set free. The greatest gift that was ever given was Jesus Christ. Why wouldn't we all just be filled with joy and hope and peace and excitement? And that doesn't feel like Christmas for a lot of people. It could be one of the most depressing, one of the most financially burdensome. It could be one of the most selfish. It could be some of the most intense. Some of you are weighted down. It's, it's a heavy time. It was supposed to be joyous and it's anything but. And how do we deal with that? How do we, man, how do we, how do we go through that? I, I posted something that a, a pastor that I follow recently put on social media. I don't know if he wrote it or if he got it from somebody else, but Craig Rochelle pastors out in the Midwest and he wrote this and I, I just wanted to I wanted to read it to you because I felt like it, it kind of encapsulates what I'm trying to talk about here with this Christmas season. He says, someone uh, said something years ago that stuck with me, and, it, and they explained to him that Christmas is a magnifier. When I talk about things being amplified, this is what I'm talking about. He says, Christmas is a magnifier. If things are good in your life, then Christmas tends to magnify the goodness. That which is good seems better at Christmas. A good family seems good like a great family. Uh, a good party seems like a fantastic party at Christmas. A good memory becomes an even better memory. Christmas magnifies the good, but unfortunately, unfortunately, Christmas also magnifies the difficult. 
If you're struggling, the Christmas season can almost make the struggle seem more intense. Financial stress is tough any time of year, but in December, it can feel unbearable. A challenged relationship, maybe with your extended family, um, that's never fun. But this time of year, around the holidays, it can be pretty unbearable, pretty, pretty accentuated. If you're normally lonely, if you normally battle with loneliness, Christmas time might feel like the loneliest time of all. So this is true for a lot of what's going on in our world, maybe even in your own heart right now. The conclusion is this, though. As we celebrate the greatest gift in history, our Savior's birth, as we focus on Jesus, as we worship God and his goodness, his love, his sacrifice, we're told, if you remember the angel, we're told to magnify him, to glorify him, all of us together. Craig asked this question, though. What, what does that mean? What does that mean, to magnify well, among other things, magnify simply means to make bigger. So what if we made God a bigger part of our lives? What if we made God a bigger part of our thoughts, not just on Christmas Day, but every day? What if you allowed him and his goodness, his will, his plans to consume your thoughts? What if you made his presence the biggest priority of all? And he concludes with this. If you're going to magnify anything this Christmas, magnify Christ. I think this is a great challenge, but I think it's hard to do because a lot of what we talk about is hidden in the shadows. And if we're gonna, if we're gonna deal with it, we gotta call it out into the light. Christmas, a time known for giving and generosity. I didn't uh, preach last week. I had a chance to go and hang out with our Harbor kids. So I spent a lot of time with the Harbor kids and I was asking them like, hey, what's Christmas all about? What's it mean to you? What does Christmas mean? And to their pastor, they said, presents. <laughs> Some of you are like, not my kid. He said, Jesus. No, your kid said presents. Presents, right? Like, I mean, come on, gift giving. Like, who doesn't like getting a gift? We get this tradition from the fact that the Bible says in the book of John that God gifted humanity his only begotten son. He gave us Jesus Christ so that if any of us would, would be willing to put our faith in him, we would have eternal life. God gifted us his son and gifted us eternal life and forgiveness. And all we have to do is put our faith in Jesus. That gift is what we celebrate. Jesus being born in a manger, coming to earth, being gifted to mankind. Shortly thereafter, these wise men show up and they gift, they give Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus some gold and some frankincense and some myrrh. And this is, has kind of evolved over the years into a tradition of like, let's give gifts. And there's nothing wrong with that. Please don't send me an email. There's nothing wrong with giving gifts. I think it's great. Who doesn't love that? But the problem is, that what Satan has done and what our sin nature has naturally done is taken this, this season that was supposed to be about celebrating God's generosity, God's compassion to us, and in turn, us sharing generosity and compassion towards others has instead turned into a season of taking and a spirit of greed. Consumerism, our materialism is at an all-time high. <laughs> It's a season that was supposed to be meant to like say, I'm gonna be open-handed. And what we tend to do is go, what can I get? 
You don't believe me? Look at every commercial that's on TV right now. Like, if you really love your family, you'll buy this. If you really want to impress this person, you'll get that. Everybody needs X, Y, and Z. Like, and you're just like, yeah, I do need that. <laughs> and we have a tendency to make a list. It's just, it's, it's very selfish. This is why the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, put to death the sinful, the earthly things that are lurking inside of you. <clears throat> and you might say, well, not in me. Yeah, the Bible says in Romans that we all have a sin nature and that naturally creates in us an unhealthy desire, a greed. Nobody had to teach you as a baby to be greedy, to be selfish, to lie, to be a jerk. Nobody taught you that. You're just naturally good at it. Why? Because you have a sin nature. And it says, put that to death. The old you is dead. You should be living for Christ. There should be a new creature if you have Jesus Christ. So you should have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Oh, can we talk about sex today? Nope. Sorry. We're talking about the second part. Don't be greedy. They'll probably do a message on that later, okay? Don't be greedy. Why? I want you to lean into this. A greedy person is an idolater. Worshiping the things of this world. Now, when you hear idolatry, you might think Old Testament Bible. Old Testament, they would take a rock, the, the pagans of the, of the time, they would take a rock or a piece of wood and they would carve it into a shape or they would take like a metal, like a, 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 an iron or, a, or even a gold or silver or something, and they would melt it down and they would form it into some shape. It could be an object or a, a person. They would, they would make something out of it, a graven image. And then they would bow down and pray to it and they would worship it and they would bow down to these, these idols they made and they're called idolaters. And they'd even bring sacrifices to it. And you would say, well, I'm not an idolater. <laughs> I don't do that. There's nothing in your life that you turn to, that you're consumed with that thing takes up your thoughts, that you rely on it to make you happy. You need more of it to get what you want, to feel secure. There's nothing in your life that you're driven by it. You find your identity in it, not your paycheck, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, not your retirement plans. There's nothing like that that you think about, hope in, trust in, go to, worry about, See, we all have idols. You may not be able to have, you might not have a carved out image in your living room you bow down to, but you have idols. I have idols. And it, it, it speaks to this selfishness, this greed that's inside of all of us. What do you mean by greed? Well, the Oxford Dictionary, this is not a Bible definition, the English Dictionary says this. It's a noun that means an intense and selfish desire for something usually wealth or power. It's an intense and selfish desire. And I gotta stop because some of you are looking at me like, not me. <laughs> I, I did have somebody after I just preached this last service come up and say, I'm a greedy person, I know that now. But prior to that, nobody admits that they're greedy. I don't run into people and they're like, you know what, I'm selfish, I'm greedy. You don't think that, you think everybody else is. Pastor, I'm sitting next to somebody right now. Who's... <laughs> they need this message. We can all think of greedy people, right? That really rich guy that we used to work with, how greedy he was, or that person down the street, how selfish they were, that kid we went to school with. 
but not us. I'm not greedy. I'm not selfish, at least not on that kind of level. See, what you understand, what you have to understand is you are. You are innately selfish. Here's how you determine it. Who is the beneficiary of your actions? Who benefits from the things you do? It's almost always, your goal is almost always you. Because you worship you. You're an idolater to your feelings, your desires. What would make me happy? It's a holiday designed to thank God for gifting us salvation. And most of us spend our time going, well, God, I need this. And if you could do this and take this away and make me feel better about this and fix this person's heart and do this. We have all these things we want that we think we need. Because deep down, even in our pain or in our anger or even in our desire to be better, we're innately selfish. Some of you are sitting there looking at me like, you're not preaching to me. I'm the best gift giver I know. (laughs) You know that most of the best gift givers I know are some of the most selfish people? Who benefits from you giving a gift? Well, clearly the person I'm giving it to. Really? That's what motivated you to buy that present? It wasn't the idea that they would see you as the best gift giver. It wasn't that you would have the coolest gift, be the nicest person, that you would make sure your spouse or your family member knew just how thoughtful you are. None of those were the motivating factors at all. Most of the time when you really get into somebody who's super generous and a really great gift giver, they like the way it makes them feel. And by the way, I think it's great to give gifts. And if you give a gift selfishly, it's better than not giving any gift. But if you're honest, even great, even great gift givers, people who love to give gifts, it's because they, they like to feel, it makes them feel good. It's still a selfish motivation. The Bible says that God will take all of our great, generous, looks like godly motivations and he'll test them with purity and fire. And it says, it basically means he's going to put them to the test of what was really at the heart of your motivation. And he says, these giant piles of good things we do will be reduced to double rubble. It'll be very little left. Because deep down, the motivation for these good things we do is still, I need to look good. I need to feel good. And we are much more selfish than we want to admit. This is why the Bible says in 1 John 2, verse 16, the world only offers you a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for the things that you can see, a pride in your own achievements, a pride in your possessions. These are not from the Father. They're from this world. You are going to be distracted by things because this is, this is the way that Satan has found that captures us the most, pulls us away from God to what's going on. Don't believe me? Your entire Instagram account right now is just about showing you things to look at that you want or should want. Whether it's something to buy or it's another family. Like, look, look at how great their vacation is. I need that vacation. Look how well put together their family is. Their family's perfect. No, it's not. It's Photoshopped. <laughs> but we're used to seeing things that we are told, I have to have this. I need this. It plays on our desires for more because deep down we are selfish. This is why God says in Exodus chapter 20, you might remember this. He says, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Stop wanting what other people have. It's 
one of the Ten Commandments. That's the Tenth Commandment. He put it in the same list as don't kill somebody. And you're like, it's not important. Yeah, stop being jealous and coveting, and if, you, if coveting's a hard word for you, stop desiring things that aren't yours. Well, I mean, I think everybody does it. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Preach on something else, Pastor Josh. I could. But we're talking about the ugly truth. You, if, I, if, if, if we don't call this out, you could go through this entire season thinking you're celebrating Christmas and actually just feeding this selfishness, this greed, this materialism that's in you. How do I know that? Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. If you don't know who Solomon is, his dad was King David. His dad was the king. His dad was the David that killed the giant Goliath. When David dies, Solomon becomes king. And God says to Solomon, I loved your dad so much. I'm going to, just out of respect to him and love for him, I'm going to give you one request. Ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And if you were a king during that day and age, you probably would have asked, give me an army that can't lose battles. Like I need the most kick butt army. Or I need just a ton of money to make my empire run. Or I need a smoking hot wife. I don't, know, I don't know what you would have said. I don't know what you want, okay? But he could ask for anything. God said, ask for anything. And our boy Solomon says, God, I, I want wisdom. Would you, God, would you just give me wisdom? If you've gifted me with this kingdom, let me be smart enough to not screw it up. And God says, because you asked for wisdom instead of all that other stuff, I'm going to give you all that other stuff too. And Solomon became known as the wisest king who ever lived. Smartest guy who ever lived. Guy became a genius, invests in the kingdom, understands how to develop. The kingdom expands its borders to the largest that it's ever been. It becomes the most influential. He becomes one of the most powerful men in the world. Um, he interacts with all these other kingdoms. He builds up his great army. He, bring, he builds up this amount of wealth. He also got not just one wife. He got a lot of wives. Probably not a great move. But um, he, when it comes to money, Homeslice got tons of money. Modern day uh, experts, archaeologists, and or uh, scholars in, in ancient affairs, they, they calculate Solomon's worth the equivalent today would be somewhere around $3 trillion with a T. So long before there was a Bezos or a Gates, there was a Solomon, and he wrote this, chapter 5, verse 10 of Ecclesiastes, those who love money will never have enough. The guy who wrote that has more money than you will ever have. And he says, don't chase it. It's a trap. And you think, well, if I just had a little bit more, if I had a little bit more, I could pay these bills. If I had a little bit more, I could set up my, my retirement. If I had a little bit more, I'd get my kids through college. If I had a little bit more, I could take care of this. If I had just a little bit, and you start to put your hope in your money. Now, once again, some of you are going to think this message doesn't apply to you because you're like, well, I'm not greedy for money. I don't care about money. You can be greedy for a lot of things. Some of you are, are selfish for romance. You just have to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. This makes you feel good about yourself. Somebody to tell you they love you. Some of you just have to have a title. Man, if I can, be, if I can have the best rank at work, if I can have the most letters after my name, 
if I can if I can accomplish this, if I can get a trophy, if I can get praise from somebody, you have something you are greedy for. It may not be necessarily money. It could be power. It could be a lot of things. But he says, when you crave that, it's never enough. Money will not solve your problems. Possessions will not solve your problems. How meaningless to think that wealth would bring you true happiness. This is why I love taking you guys on missions trips. I want our church to go on more because you don't realize that every person in this room is in the top 5% of people in the world wealth-wise. Even if you're the poorest person in this room, you're one of the richest people in the world. You don't believe me because you haven't seen the rest of the world. You go to most countries in the poverty that those people live in, the sheer lack of anything to call their own, the shacks that 12 member families live in that are the size of like just a, a, just a, what most of you... It's, it's smaller than half of your garage and their entire family lives in it. And you talk about how you don't have anything. I've been there and those people are happier than most of you. Getting more does not make you happier. And yet some of you are wasting your life away to accumulate more and more and more. And Satan's laughing at you the whole time. And the reason I'm preaching this at Christmas is because this might be the only time that you'll actually see it. Because we almost glamorize getting more. As the theologian, probably philosopher, Ariel once said, thingamabobs, I've got 20. <laughs> Who cares? No big deal. I want more. Why? Because that's what we do. We want more. If you don't get that, watch, watch a cartoon every once in a while. Um, we, we have this craving for more. And he goes, how meaningless to think that that's what brings happiness. He says in the next verse, the more you have, the more people will come to help you spend it. <laughs> so what good is wealth except to watch it slip through your fingers? You never have friends until you win the lottery. And then you got friends, you know? He's saying, hey, it's not good for anything. He's like, it, it doesn't amount to anything. Jesus was trying to get this, this point across. Jesus was actually preaching something else. If you go to look at, look at Luke chapter 12, the first verse says that thousands of people gathered to hear Jesus preach. And as a rabbi, he would preach these scrolls and he starts to unpack these messages. And he's preaching to this huge crowd about what it means to know God. And he's talking about salvation. He's talking about some heavy theological things in the first 12 verses. You should go read it. Really powerful stuff. But verse 13 says, somebody called from the crowd, teacher. It's like a cell phone going off right in the middle of his message. Interrupts Jesus preaching. Says, hey, rabbi, rabbi, can you tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me? Time out. That's good stuff. I, I love what you're saying about God and like, you know, getting our hearts right and stuff. But he's, my brother's got some money. He's not sharing literally interrupted Jesus's message to, to have Jesus flex on this guy to make him like give him some money. And Jesus says, who, who made me judge to decide financial matters? Like, what are you, why are you bringing that in here? And he goes, let me just warn you, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by what you own, buddy. In the middle of Jesus's message, this guy says, I need... I need, I need you to tell my brother to share, share our inheritance. And Jesus goes, beware of 
every kind of greed. What do you mean there's more than one kind? Different interpretations basically mean this. Greed pops up in your life in a lot of different ways. Maybe it isn't money. Maybe it's one of the things I talked about. Do you understand that there's, there's individual greed? And that's kind of what I'm poking at the most. But beyond individual greed and selfishness, you have family greed. You see greed come into a family, husband and wife fighting over money. You know it's almost always, almost consistently always in the top three reasons every year for divorces is financial issues. Husbands and wives... This is my money, that's your money. We separate this money, I can't, and we, I have to hide from you what I do, and you have to hide it. I don't want you to see what I'm spending. A dad who's yelling, money doesn't grow on trees, kids. The stress that comes into a family because of money, it's torn so many families apart. There's some of you in this room that haven't talked to your own brother or sister because of some reason with an inheritance or a money issue. Money separates people who shouldn't be separated. Families that should be tighter. It's not just family greed, there's corporate greed. Some of you are in business, some of you are decision makers in businesses. The book of James tells us to pay our employees fairly, but some of you, you rob your employees because it means a better bottom line for you. You take advantage of people. Some of you have produced a product that's less than what it should be because it helps your bottom line. Now hold up, some of you are gonna think I'm preaching something I'm not. The Bible isn't against you making a profit. You have a right to make a profit. God doesn't dislike rich people. He's made a lot of people rich. He made Solomon rich. God doesn't have a problem with you being rich. You have a problem with you being rich. Nobody wrote that down. Um, See, the Bible says that where our treasure is, that's where our heart will go after. You crave money and power and those things so much that it pulls your heart away from God. And the more you get, the more you go away from God. And so his problem isn't with rich people or people being rich. His problem is with people caring more about the salvation that they think money will bring them versus the actual salvation that God brings them. And what I see in this story is our boy who interrupts the message doesn't have any money and yet he's super greedy which lets me know it's not just rich people who are greedy. He doesn't have anything and he's greedy. Poor people can be greedy too. Yeah, some of y'all are like, not me. Yep, you too. And what he's saying here, what Jesus is saying, he says, hey, it shows up in all kinds of different ways and it can be individual, it can be family, it can be corporate. It can also be church-wide greed too. Church greed is, is what you see on TV when you see those evangelists talk about just love you some Jesus and you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise? That's not true. Prosperity gospel is a lie. That's not in the Bible. Well, he's such a good communicator. He's my favorite preacher. He's a con artist. If a church uses God to manipulate you about your money, then it's misusing God. And this is what's so frustrating about it. They get up and they promise, if you sow a seed of $10, God will reward you with a hundred. I just feel it. I can, I can say that. No, you can't. That's garbage. It's made up. It is. And it ticks me off because what they're doing is they're bringing the name of God down by making you think that God promised you something he never promised. And when God doesn't deliver on the promise that he never made, people are getting mad at God. And it's these con artists who are saying, oh no, this is what it is. And they're just doing it to make themselves rich. And so there can be greed in any area, you personally, corporately, in the church, anywhere is susceptible to greed. 
This is why God speaks about it so much. Jesus tells them, be careful for all different kinds of greed. And he follows it up with this story. The very next verse says, Jesus tells them a story and he says, hey, there was a rich man who had a fertile farm and produced a ton of fine crops. There's a guy who owns a bun- who has a business and it's wicked successful. And the guy talks to himself and Jesus tells us the conversation the guy has in his own head. And the man says to himself, self, what can I do? I have, I have too much stuff. I've grown too big. I have too many things. I'm too successful. I know, he says to himself, I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And then I'll have room. If I just add on an attic and a little thing on the back of my house and add one more branch to my company, if I just do this, then I'll have enough store all of my stuff, and, he, and I'll, I'll sit back, and I'll say to my, he's already talking to himself, and he goes, and then I'll talk to myself some more, and I'll say, friend, you've stored up, you've stored away enough for years to come. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And God interrupts our boy talking to himself. And I goes, I know you're talking to yourself, but I'm going to talk to you now, too. God said to him, you fool, you idiot. You will die this very night. Then who's going to get everything that you've worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. What Jesus is talking about here is he's saying there's a part of us that we come over here and when the world dangles stuff, in front, I've got to have, I've got to have somebody to love me and I've got to have a nice house and I've got to have, I've got to have a better vacation. I've got to have a retirement. I've got to pay my bills. I've got to, I've got to buy this. I've got to own this. I've got to do this. I've got to have this. I've got to, got to, got to have, give, 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 take, take, take. He says, he says in the book of Matthew that you're storing up treasures on earth and all you're doing is piling up stuff that will rust away, that moths will eat it and people will come steal it. You're piling up a bunch of crap that you can't take with you. He's saying you're investing, and some of you have ruined your families because you're workaholics, assuming that getting one more raise or one more dollar, doing one more thing will somehow solve your problems, and you're only adding to your problems because you're looking to the world to set you free from something that it can't set you free from. And so you're piling up earthly possessions, and some of you are getting really earthly rich and becoming incredibly spiritually poor because this is you building your own castle, and God says you've got a limited time to invest in his kingdom. But what we do is we get consumed with becoming earthly rich and eternally poor. And he's saying, how stupid of you. You don't know that you'll be alive tomorrow. You don't know that you'll have another day to enjoy all of that. You'll work yourself to death trying to get the thing that you want, whether it's a person or a place or a thing or a possession or you fill in the blank. And if you, even if you did get it, it won't make you happy is what Solomon said. But most of you will never get it. And then you'll die going, I spent all of my investment in something that won't last. Once again, God is not against you having a prophet or giving people presents. And a lot of people are like, well, I just wanna, I'm working so hard so that I can, can, can give something to my kids. I grew up poor. I wanna give my kids better than I had to. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But what we're doing is we're being, we're being deceived by Satan 
and we're setting a standard for our kids and our grandkids that this is what saves us. And now our kids grow up being more selfish and more materialistic because that's what they saw mom and dad and grandma and grandpa do. And all these things that you think you're helping them with, you're actually hurting them. And God says, you gotta be very careful about building up on temporary. There's stuff that's way more important than that. And what are you really passing on to your kids? This is why Paul wrote, wrote to the, his protege, Timothy. And if you don't know who Timothy is, he was a young pastor of a church in a place called Ephesus. And the church of Ephesus got a letter from Paul called the book of Ephesians. And now as a follow-up, Paul is now writing to that same pastor, but he wrote it directly to him. And this is the letter of 1 Timothy. And in 1 Timothy chapter six, Paul writes to his protege. He says, hey, Timmy, listen, I don't know if he called him that. I think he should have. I think I'm going to cool. Hey, Tim, true godliness with contentment is great wealth. You wanna, your, your people in your church, Tim, you need to tell them what's up. The church at Ephesus has a mindset that if they just had a little bit more, he goes, you need to tell them godliness, and if you don't know what godliness, godliness is the pursuit of what God wants more than the pursuit of what you want. Like, what, what can I do with my life that would make God happy? Godliness comboed with contentment. So this one might hurt a little bit. Are you content? Because everything in our flesh and everything that the world dangles in front of us is designed to keep us being discontent. That's why so many people cheat on their spouses. Well, I just need somebody to love me. There'll always be somebody that's not loving you that you can now pursue. I just need, I need another dollar. They interviewed Rockefeller. At the time, he was the richest person. I said, what do you want? He said, I want one more dollar. Just one more dollar. There will always be something you don't have that you can pursue. And he says, hey, they need to understand that being content with what they have, saying godliness, pursuing God, contentment, saying this is enough. I've got what I need. When's the last time you just thanked God for what you had without telling him you needed something else? I'm not mad at you. I'm saying this guilty. When was the last time you said, God, you sent your son. I have all that I need. Thank you. Almost all of our prayers are, God, I want this and I need this. And if you'll do this, I can get this. And I'd really appreciate this. We're not content. He says, godliness with content, that's great wealth. Now you're rich. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. Some of you, you love that cell phone that you weren't born with. You're not taking it with you. You can't take any of that stuff with you when you leave this world. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. You know, what, you know what's needed for survival? Food, shelter, clothing. God says he clothes the lilies of the field. He feeds the birds of the air. If he takes care of those things, he'll take care of you. You'll, you'll be okay. But here's the problem. We've got bread to eat, but we want pizza. And I got clothes to wear, but I need clothes that will impress other people. I got a place to live, but I, I need a bigger place. We're not content. He says, we ha if you have enough food, you have enough clothing, then let us be content. But people who long to be rich will fall into temptation and they'll be trapped by many foolish and harmful desires. This pursuit, if you ignore this message today, 
Your pursuit after stupid stuff will plunge you into ruin and destruction. Some of you are pursuing money or a relationship with somebody or a recognition from somebody else or an acceptance from a group of people. You're pursuing the very thing that will destroy you. You don't need to date him. You need to let him go. You don't need that group of people to think that you're cool. You need to stop pursuing their approval. You don't need that extra raise at work. You need to be okay with not even accepting that, that position. Your discontent is actually leading you to a path of destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people that have been craving money have wandered from true faith and they've pierced themselves with many sorrows. What do I mean by that? Some of you misheard that verse. You grew up being told, money is the root of all evil. It is not the root of all evil. The love of money, the idolatry of money is the root of the evil. Money isn't bad. Your pursuit, your need for things, that's what's bad. Proverbs says in verse 11, chapter 11, verse 24, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. Your ability to be open-handed is what God will bless. You're either going to build up stuff here on this earth or you're going to build up stuff in eternity. If you're truly a follower of God, and I know some of you aren't, but if you're truly a follower of God where Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, then your heart should be, God, what do you want? All of my time, Whatever you give me left, every second is yours. All of my treasure, every penny that I own, it's yours. All of my talent, no matter how great I think I am, smart I think I am, cool I think I am, everything that I can do well, it's yours. And all of my testimony, every word of my story, even the parts I'm the most ashamed of and embarrassed about, my time, my talent, my treasure, my, my testimony, they're actually all yours. What do you want me to do with them? If you truly love God, that's how you'll be. Jesus was preaching another time, once again, really trying to help encourage people. And it says that they, they interrupted him again. It's a common thing. Jesus says, okay, what do you want to know? And the guy goes, hey, how do I know if I really am going with God? If I really am like sold out, like I think I am, like I'm pretty sure I'm a good guy. I go to church. And he goes, and, God, and Jesus goes, well, you know the scriptures. Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul. And if you truly do love the Lord, if you love God with your heart, mind, and soul, if you love him with everything you've got, then you'll actually love your neighbor like you love yourself. The byproduct of putting God first in your life will be that you put everybody else first. The byproduct of you putting God first in your life will be that everybody else becomes more important to you than yourself. That's... That's the opposite of selfishness. And the guy heard Jesus say that and he knew that he didn't really like other people. He hid behind the fact that he was a church guy. He hid behind the fact that he loved himself some God, but he was kind of a jerk to the people he looked down on. He goes, well, how, how do I know who my neighbor is? <laughs> Tries to get Jesus on a technicality. And so Jesus tells him this story. There was a Jewish man. Now remember, Jesus is telling this story to a room full of Jewish men. He goes, hey, there was a Jewish guy that was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he gets attacked by bandits. He gets robbed. They strip him of his clothes. They, they strip him naked. They beat him up, so much so that he's ready to die. 
They leave him half dead beside the road. The vultures are coming to get him. And it says, just by chance, a priest came along. A priest, this is a, can't get much churchier than that. Except for when he saw the guy lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and he passed him by. A temple assistant. Now that's not a priest, but that's somebody who goes to church a lot. Might be a leader in a church. When he saw him, he looked at him, but he also passed on the other side of the road. Then a despised Samaritan came along and the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans didn't like the Jews either. Think like Red Sox fans and Yankees fans, okay? Came along, and when he saw the man, the Samaritan had compassion on the Jewish man. Compassion is the opposite of selfishness. He had compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, and he bandaged them. That cost him a lot of money to spend that stuff on this stranger. He put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn. That means he walked and let somebody else have the benefit. That took some humility. He took care of the man, and the next day he handed the innkeeper more money, telling him, hey, take care of this guy. If his bill runs higher, I'll be on the line for it. I'll pay you the next time I'm here. He now invested his finances in it. Now Jesus asked the question, now you tell me which of those three guys was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The church guy couldn't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan, so he just said, the one who showed him mercy. So Jesus said, now, yeah, there's your answer. Go and do that. You don't think you're selfish? Then be the good Samaritan. Tomorrow, there will be somebody in need of something. I promise you. This world is filled with them. Many of them are in your own family, probably sitting next to you right now, probably work in the cubicle across from you. The kid at the that's a seat back behind you in the bus. There's somebody in need. Selfishness says, I'm in need, let me worry about my needs. Trust in God says, God's got everything I need. If I put my faith there, then I can be used to meet somebody else's needs. That's compassion. Generosity comes from compassion. Greed comes from selfishness. If I'm truly a follower of God, if God's really transformed my heart where I'm no longer thinking about my desires, but trusting that God's got better for me than what I could ever want for myself, now I can be really open-handed with my time and my talent and my treasure and my testimony. But if you don't listen to what I'm saying and you just plug your ears and you go do what you've been doing and you live like the rest of the world because culture and this world has influenced your thinking so much that you just have to have more. I'm gonna leave you with a question that Jesus asked his followers. In the book of Mark, Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the entire world if it costs him losing his soul? Some of you have pursued so much the earthly, you are missing out on the eternal. The people around you so desperately need to be set free with the gift that God gave them. And Jesus died on a cross to gift with no strings attached, just give you forgiveness of your eternal debt of sin. Some of you in this room claim that you have that. You've received the gift of Jesus. He goes, if you've got it, then you need to tell everybody else who's still chained down with sin, 
with shame, with regret, with guilt. Tell them that I set you free and that I'll set them free too. And you have that mission, but you're ignoring the mission to go over here and dig like they do, looking for the stuff that the world will give you. People who claim to be set free, missing out on an opportunity to help other people get set free. You do not have compassion, you have selfishness. We are not the generous people we think we are. We are just as greedy. And I think that's what's broken. And I think today, if we'll just be honest with ourselves, God could use us to radically change our families and our friendship circles, our workplaces and our schools and our neighborhoods. But we have to decide what we're gonna do with it. Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes and let me pray over you? I'll pray out loud if you'll just give the people around you a little privacy. So don't look around. Close your eyes and take a moment just to ask yourself a question. Between you and God, what is God telling you today? What area of your life do you need to be more honest about? What area of your life do you need to be more open-handed with? Where have you pursued something that wasn't from God? In the quiet of this moment, you just ask God, God, what do you want me to change? Where can I let go? Where can I be more trusting of you? God, I need you help me. And I believe that as he exposes that to you, as he's poked you in the heart today, your response, your opportunity right now is to say, God, I'm sorry. I want to walk out of this room looking more like Jesus than I walked in. Help me. Some of you, you heard me talk about passing on a gift of salvation. You can't give somebody else the gift of salvation. You can't share your story of being set free. You can't impress upon them the joy of a savior because you've never received the gift yourself. And in this moment, you have to be honest about the fact that you are still the God of your life, but the Bible promises that if you would confess that you're a sinner, if you would confess and admit that you are not a good enough God to take care of your own life, that you should not be the center of all of your decisions. If today you would be willing to say, God, I'm sorry, I need you. I need your forgiveness and I need you to be in control. You take the driver's seat of my heart. Lord, you call the shots moving forward, not me. If you would surrender control, if you would invite Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, if today you put your faith in him, the Bible says he'll forgive you of every sin you've ever committed, no matter how dark or how bad, he will take that sin away. And he will give you a home in heaven, which means one day when you do take your last breath, you'll have a place with him in all eternity. While there's some people praying around you about how to invest in eternity by doing better right here and right now, there's some of you that just need to make sure that you're gonna spend eternity in heaven with God. So wherever you're at, as I pray, would you pray? I'll pray out loud. You pray quietly. Let's go to him. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before your throne and we thank you. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for meeting us right here, right where we are. God, we need more of you. God, we need more of you and less of us. And Lord, we are so craving what we have and what we think we can get. Forgive us for selfishness. God, forgive us for thinking that, that this holiday somehow revolves around us being happier or us having more. God, let us have a heart that's sensitive to the people around us that are hurting. Lord, the person who's sitting beside us or behind us that, that needs help, God, help us to have compassion for others like you did. God, you said that in our hurts and in our pains, you see us. 
you know what's heavy on our hearts, and Lord, that you love us. So today, Lord, I pray over that person, that individual who's hurting, where Christmas seems to be a magnifier of all things that are broken. Lord, would you use some of us in this room to be a light in that darkness, to be a light in that heaviness that people feel? Would you use us, God? Would you impress upon us the compassion and the mercy that you have for others and help us, God, be testimonies, to be influences and ambassadors for you? God, may our workplaces and our schools, our families, our friends, our neighborhoods, God, just around the dining room table, would you just allow the joy and the peace and the hope that comes from Jesus Christ to be present and be prevalent in our, in our relationships. God, we need you. So Lord, we surrender to you that your way is better than ours. And we ask that you would bless us, encourage us, and keep us close to you. We ask it all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.